G'day and welcome to Green and Gold Rugby Podcast 189. It's uh, Matt Rowley joining you here uh, with a bunch of very, very happy panellists indeed. Uh, joining me from Queensland, fresh, you wouldn't believe it, he was camping while this whole thing happened. Reg, mate, how are you? Mate, it made the experience all the more special when I watched it this afternoon. It didn't take anything away from it. Great to be here, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the replay looks just as good, I must admit. Um, and I've got uh, Hugh Cavill, mate, how are you? Great. Just uh, had a, off a relaxing long weekend here in Sydney. I kicked back and watched the replay. Uh, then I watched it again. And um, yeah, look, just uh, spent some time, a bit of downtime watching the replay again. And um, yeah, Monday was just mainly spent um, watching the replay uh, a couple more times. So it was a good weekend. <laughs> so how many, what are you up to? Is that four or five now? <laughs> well, yeah, I think I'm on to, I think I'm on to what, view four now. I'm at the stage where I'm kind of mouthing the commentary as we go along. Okay. It's, uh, yeah. No, I, 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 but I've got a great social life and friends and things. Don't worry about me, guys. It's, it's all okay. I <laughs> know no, we wouldn't wouldn't worry for a second. And then, um, look, I don't know, even know what the time zones are doing. I'm just assuming you somehow got to see it in some way. Jamie Miller, mate, how are you? Very, very happy. Very happy. Feeling very proud to be in Australia. Mate, it, 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 what what sort of time of the day was it for you when you when you were watching it? It was fantastic. Uh, this World Cup's actually very nicely planned for us. All the matches are at a very healthy time. So uh, kickoff was at 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, by that stage, my wife and I may have had a few drinks down at the pub uh, and a bunch of English people might have walked in as well. So, oh. you know, it was, it was terrible for us. I mean, oh, awful. Uh, even better. Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was superb viewing experience. Thanks, American TV. Okay, well, look, these podcasts are very, very um, serious events, as everybody knows, but um, in light of uh, what's happened, I'm going to crack a beer uh, for this one. Um, <laughs> feel free to join me, fellas. It's uh, it's good standard Australian stuff I'm going to be drinking as well. So, look, let's get straight into it. Now, um, we're probably looking at maybe having a second podcast this week. Uh, so, at that one, we'll have a look at the different pools, what's going on. We'll talk about the Welsh match and everything else. Um, but tonight... This is just going to be probably about half an hour of non-stop gloat um, and reliving the glory um, uh, of what happened on, on the weekend. Um, so, I mean, look, in, in case you were, you know, living in, in a bunker um, somewhere, uh, the Wallabies defeated England uh, at Twickenham 33-13. to 13. Um, I believe 28 of those points were racked up by Bernard Foley, who I think kicked something like 7 out of 7. Um, he scored uh, two tries as well. Um, I mean, oh, who's, and who's the other? Oh, and of course, the final try went to Gitz. Um, it was an amazing all-round performance. Um, but look, just to talk about... Uh, what each of us took away. I'm just let's talk about defining moments. Um, Hugh, what was your defining moment in in, in this match? Well, um, oh, I mean, there's a few. I, I think, I suppose, if I had to start with one, the defining moment for me was probably Bernard Foley's second try. And I've watched now, as I as I said up front, I've watched this try a few times, um, and I've rewinded back and watched it again and again. And um, it's, <laughs> oh, excuse me, it's just. 
a superb try. It's one of one of the best Australian, one of the best Wallaby tries we've scored for years. Just in its conception, um, in the way that's you know that small gap was exploited. Um, you know, Will Genia's role, which in that try, which is just so underrated, his pass to throw it basically back across his body in the direct, you know, in the other direction from which he was running to spot Foley. Foley then to, you know, just set it up perfectly for Beal and, you know. Beal, I, I dare say, is probably the only person in Australia who could who could run that line, who could hit that hole and create that try for Bernard Foley. And just in in a one in a, in a two or three second burst, we just took the game out of the Poms' hands right there, and just showed that why, why we were the superior team and and sent out a warning shot for, for to all the other teams in the competition because if we can you know pull off plays like that, I mean that's. I mean that's stuff you know that that um, you might see in, in at the back end of a super game when you know everyone's just having to chuck around and and, it, and it's pretty um pretty light and loose. Um, but to do that in the cauldron of Twickenham, I mean, oh, I could watch that a million times and uh, and not get tired of it. Just sensational. Yeah, because it wasn't even um, a set piece. I mean, it was phase play. I think it was like probably third or fourth phase um, of a set, and um, it just went like absolute clockwork, didn't it? Yeah, and, and look, the gap was there, but it wasn't obvious. I mean, it, it, it um, you know, the Poms reacted pretty quickly to it, but Beal just that, you know, it shows you again how far he's come in the last two years from, you know, being injured and, you know, sort of rebuilding himself from the player he was back in 2010, 2011. Um, I think, you know, currently Beal last year or the year before probably wouldn't be able to clap the pace on and hit that hole. Um, but the fact that he did that then and, and just, you know, managed to get that burst of acceleration through, and put Foley away. Um, yeah, look, that's um, that's what I remember for a long time. Yeah. Hugh, can I jump in, Matt? There, just because Hugh's got to take all my points before we start. <laughs> <laughs> that, that second trial has got to be mine. But I was gonna once you brought it up, I was gonna extrapolate further. And I thought the moment was when Beale came on. So I have to come in before you go too much about Beale. And it's it's not so much. Beale's performance, although I thought he was excellent and, and proved a, 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 a fantastic foil for not only uh, Foley but also Falau at the back. But it shows what Cheek has been doing with his squad. And I think many of us, even this game, but 12 months ago, if Beale was coming on in that sort of situation, in that sort of game, to have to play the next 70 minutes of the match on, a, on the wing, you, you know, a fair few of us would have been quite nervous. But the way he performed... Uh, and even that move, and I know it's got natural, uh, you know, instinct there, and that's one of his greatest skills. But it just shows how much Chica is working with his squad to to cover all the bases, and 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 the way he he performed in that big match is such a credit to Kurtley, who, who's copped a lot of flack, and and you know I'm probably one of them, and to Chica, who, who's also copped a fair bit of flack from me as well. But you know, it, it was just such a, a fantastic moment. But I just thought Kurtley's performance that game, um, and, and whether that was a yeah, hopefully it is a defining moment for him, but it just showed to me what what's happening with that squad, and I, I just thought that was uh, that moment. The try captured a, a remarkable, you know, moment that showed a, a bigger picture there, and it was it was great to see that for Kurtley, and, and I guess as an example of that wider squad. Yeah, like, I agree. I agree totally, Reggie. Yeah. If I just mentioned, mentioned Beal, I was going to talk say the same thing, but his defence was just incredible. I mean, yeah, look. He- he missed the one-on-one tackle on um, on Watson there to, for that try, but you can sort of forgive him. He, you know, Watson was England's best, and he was a rampaging at that point, so that's a tough, tough uh, tackle. But you know, the physicality that I've never seen before from Kirtley. You know, a couple of hits off the kickoff, but a couple of real shirt front reads that you know he he came came out of the line to to smother the ball, 
carrier. I mean, he basically was Rob Horn. He took Rob Horn's shoe, filled Rob Horn's shoes, mm. and 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 played that role. And I never believed he could do it. And you know, it's the best game he's played since. Yeah, again, that sort of 2010, 2011, when he was sort of IRB Player of the Year nominee. That I mean, that's that's the type of form he showed. Well, look, look, I'm going to come to you next, Jamie. But just let me build on that point quickly, which is that. Um, what hit me in this game was, and it was kind of the point that you're making there, Reg, was just how everyone knew exactly what they needed to do. Mm. They knew exactly what their role was, both in the sort of the micro of the game, like you know where we needed to go next, X, X, X Y, and Z, but then also just the role they needed to play in the overall squad, um, and just did it, you know, just did it beautifully the whole way through. You know, whether it was the time when you know when we changed the front row, or when it was even Tamua playing on the wing, or or whoever it was, just came in and absolutely slotted. In. And I think what that shows to me is these guys have spent a lot of hours, a lot of hours training together, you know, and I'm sure other teams, it's not like no one else has, but, you know, have whatever, however they've been doing or how long they've been doing it, um, it's just very clear they really know how to play together. And it, I think it's clear now that there is very much, there is an A team with a bunch of people who can slot in though. Um, and it's not just like, oh, look, there's 15 players and the rest. Um, it is playing very much like a squad, but... Um, they seem to know where they're going. But look, staying with the defining moments then, Jamie, what was yours? Uh, it was the first dominant Australian scrum. Mm. Um, I mean, I think for the first couple of scrums, the penalties went a bit this way and we got uh, pinged for uh, hitting and pushing a couple of times and I was thinking, oh, this, you know, all this same scrum dominance I was hoping for just isn't quite unfolding. And then sort of around the 30-minute mark, everything suddenly changed and we completely dominated the scrum for the rest of the match. And for me, you know, it probably wasn't any more important than any of the other moments you guys have picked out, but it was the most satisfying. <laughs> um, it, made, it made me feel the best. And when you're watching all those replays, Hugh, you can just watch the scrums over and over again because it wasn't one of those scrumming performances where they're talking about, oh, maybe there's an angle here, maybe there's a wheel. It wasn't the Aussies were just scrumming absolutely straight and just completely dominating. I mean, it was men against boys stuff by the end there. Um, we're just walking straight through them. And it was very satisfying to watch after all those disasters at Twickenham over the years. Yeah, yeah you're right. That I mean, the, the, the structure of that scrum was phenomenal in terms of how well the tight five were staying together. So, you know, it's so often that pommy scrum disintegrated and you'd still see, you know, our our tight five as a unit, you know, walking on through. It was it's an amazingly strong scrum original performance. And, um, yeah, and, and as you say, equally strong from those bench players. Um, you know, Sio and and um, Kepu as a starting unit with, with Steve Moore and obviously the, the two locks were great and there's that great um, shot when... Um, one of those dominant scrums sort of flared up a little bit of, of CO right in the face of um, his his Pommy counterpart there, which is just fantastic aggression. But then when Slipper and, and Tatafu and, and um, uh, Greg Holmes come on, and I, you know I just love the Greg Holmes story, and I, I love the potential where that may go. But um, those guys just maintain the rage. It was it was awesome to watch. Oh no, it was fantastic. Yeah. I think, you know, the only thing is I'd love to see this as a beginning rather than the end. Yeah. You know, I'd love to see a point, a full-time national scrum coordinator, maybe who during the Super Rugby series goes out and talks with all the different franchises and the developing props as well. Because it's obvious that Mario Ledesma's uh, presence 
as well as an attitude change, has made just a world of difference uh, in the scrum. And in turn, that's been infectious to everything else we've done in the forwards. And I'd love to see us back here in four years doing the same thing, really. Yeah, no, it's, that's, that's been amazing. I mean, I, I think my uh, defining moment, which I'll, do, I'll, I'll drop on that, was, was when Poit um, did that kind of roundhouse <laughs> kind of referee reversal, you know, penalty reversal, where he was like, oh, yeah, scrum's gone down. This must be a penalty to England. And then he literally kind of had to cycle it around his head to get his arm over to the other side when he, his brain kind of kicked in and said, no, actually, that was a... Um, an, you know, an Aussie penalty. That that for me was the turning point because I think you'd seen in in uh, Poit's head he, was, he still wasn't quite sure who he decided had dominance that day. And I think you know at that point, um, which is around about the halfway mark, I think it was because um, not long after that, then uh, Marla got the talking to and then got hooked immediately after. Um, and that was when it was that was game over. That was you know scrum dominance well and truly, um, well and truly there. But I mean you know when was the last time? What was it? five scrum penalties um you know we, we put on them that's that's quite remarkable um and well and you know the thing was and i think to, to to take it more to a general point i think we just played quite really well uh, and england played him really poorly so you know one of the things that i noticed we were doing which i've never seen us do before um is that whenever a scrum went down our second rowers and back row made this really conscious sort of move forward almost piling on top of our props, which kind of looked quite dangerous, but as if to suggest that we were, even though the scrum was collapsing, we were moving forward. Mm. Um, and it's really interesting to watch. And and Poit basically, you know, made his decisions based on who was going forward when the scrum fucked up. Mm. And more often than not, that was us. We just made his decisions really easy. Um, and, mm. you know, that goes back to what he did to us in that third Lions test too, you know, where you, you could point to a few things that Corby Sierra and, and um, Jenkins were doing in that game, the English, uh, the Lions props, but ultimately they were moving forward so they get the chocolates. So we were kind of obviously playing him there, um, which, you know, worked on a few occasions. But um, the other thing that I think, you know, taking it more generally, um, England were just so poor at, at playing him because it, it became apparent after 15 minutes that he was letting the defensive team get away with anything at the ruck. You know, Pocock was getting his hands on it. Blokes were flying in, you know, getting their feet in there. Steve Moore, I mean, Michael Hooper, Fardy, you know. Uh, we only received, I mean, put it this way, in England had a lot of ball and we were terrorising them at the rucks and we only actually got penalised once um, for a ruck infringement and that was um, Tavita Kurandrani not rolling away late in the game. Um, Scott Fardy got sort of, you know, got pinged but um, England scored the try from it so it wasn't, blown, wasn't brought back. But... So basically, you know, he was, it was tailor-made conditions for Pocock and Hooper. Um, and England could have done it too. I mean, they, they, but they didn't adapt. They stood back and when we were attacking, they stood back, let us have the ball, where they could have gone in hard. And if they had a decent seven, and this is where Robshaw was totally exposed, if they had a decent seven who could have gone toe-to-toe with Pocock, they would have made our life a lot harder. Mm. But as it was, um, they, they didn't have anyone that could do that, play that role, um, and Poit would have let them get away with it. But... Um, yeah. Yeah, we, so yeah. we got the spoils. Can I just jump in quickly here? Um, across the game, the Wallabies conceded five penalties only. Um, and one of those was Michael Hooper's clean out. So we were deep on offense. We gave them only two shots at goal from penalties. I mean, that's a big part of why we won. Uh, just extraordinary discipline. That's and huge. we were ahead for much of the match. You would have thought maybe the penalty count would have racked up towards the end. 
five penalties. Just extraordinary. The discipline well, was... Well, let, me, let me take that a bit further, which is that we've averaged since 2010 12 and a half penalties per match against the Poms at Twickenham. Wow. So, oh. so we quite... You know, that, and the stats at his fingertips. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, because actually it was a standout for me in that match. Um, and if you, if you watch through it, there are a number of times when you look at the Wallabies and you think, you know, why have they got as hard at that breakdown? And then, you know, and there was quite a few times when actually their line speed, the line speed was there, but it was starting late. Um, and they were definitely behind. They were always, you know, really actually behind the, 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 the last foot, which I think in international rugby or even in super rugby, no one's done for a good couple of years now. Um, and I think that was a deliberate thing. So, you know, you think about it. I think, you know, um, Link used to talk a lot about how, you know, when you're putting a strategy together to play against a team, you just want to take them out of their comfort zone. Um, so, you know, with, you know, with the Chiefs or whoever it was, you don't let them, you don't give them ball to run back at you and that sort of stuff. And here with the Poms, it was just don't give them a penalty to kick. Um, well, but you know what? The other thing is, Matt, and, and I think, again, ex- expanding on what I just said, but Poit, he reft he reft a Southern Hemisphere style. And that's, I think, why we did so. One of the contributing factors and why we did so well. He played long advantages. And England had advantage a few times, but they sort of got downfield 20 metres and he, and, he, and he let him play. Um, you know, I think if he, he was sensational. I mean, he really – and he suited our game perfectly. But, you know, he, he could have pinged us for a lot more things, but he just stood back. He let the game flow. And, you know, it was a great performance, I thought. And, and the game was great, and that was a testament to him. But um, – you know, I think a, a more sort of um, officious Northern Hemisphere ref could have changed that game, but um, it, it played right into our hands. I thought. Mm. Well, look, um, Reg, I'm going to yeah. come to you in a second now for for your defining moment if you if you haven't already had it. But just to finish off on, on the he's sp- already had it. He can't get yeah. To I, I, did you did you layer did you layer I pitched back to you on the Beal thing. Okay, you yeah, come you. on, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So look, um, I just wanted to finish off on, on the scrum thing. I'm actually kind of halfway through a bit of an analysis piece just going through each of the scrums and looking at it. And I think what was very interesting was, uh, as we we discussed here, a key part of what we did was just to get moving forward. And it's clear that we were, you know, we were driving through the POMs. But uh, one of the things that we obviously decided to do, though, was um, not exactly push completely straight ourselves. We, we, We stayed together as a pack, so we didn't angle one person in, but we definitely looked to shear off... Um, Marla um, and kind of um, head towards uh, the tight head and, and, the, and the hooker, which and as long as you're moving forward, that's obviously just going to leave just going to leave um, the opposition loose head to just you know fall off the, the side of the scrum basically, which is what, which is what Marla did. Um, but that's only going to work if you're getting the push forward. So our guys obviously just knew that was coming. Um, and actually, and the Poms are doing the exact thing that they were trying to do against the, the, the Welsh just a couple of weeks um, before. But anyway. Um, that analysis piece hopefully will be out in the next day or two, which I think um, we'll be highlighting that. But um, no, the scrums are a massive thing. I don't know if you guys saw Brian Smith um, sort of penned an article for us just ahead of the, the game. Only came out on Saturday, unfortunately. But his big thing was he was saying, look, I don't think England have got the balance right. I think they've only got, I think their plan A, B and C is to get penalties from a scrum and that's it. And he turned out, and I found it hard, I almost found that hard to believe that an international team could seriously take that to be their key strategy. And it was, because once they, they didn't have that, they had nothing. It was a very prescient piece, wasn't it? Mm. No, well, I, I mean, 
their, their back row was appalling. I mean, their I mean, Youngs was clear. I mean, um, Ben Youngs was clearly playing hurt. He just lacked any of his zip. Um, you know, Brad Barrett has to be the biggest passenger in world rugby. Um, yeah. And you know, their back three is sensational. Um, which is the shame of it all. I mean, that Watson, I mean, I think he's only 22. He's an absolute gun. Yeah, the whole um, back three, you like say, and, and, and May, sensational, electric on the other wing, and, and Mike Brown, we know <laughs> I mean, about him. I, but I, I love the uh, the early play with that, um, uh, the fantastic Foley kick, and I'm sure we'll get to that soon, uh, early in the game, right down in the corner, and Brown made the mistake oh. of stepping on the line. It just took me back to that Twickenham game last year where he's, Stepped on the line again, yeah. but it wasn't called, and um, he scored a defining try soon afterwards. But uh, it, it was, uh, I guess, uh, a little insight on what was to come for England. Yeah, they, um... that, that kick from Foley was actually close to my defining moment. Yeah, um, yeah. because it's so beautifully executed as a first. Uh, this is our first possession, and this is what we're going to do with our game. It was pragmatic. It was, uh, as, as Matt referred to again, everyone knew what they were going to do. It was clear where the ball was going to go. And then he executed it just to a T. I I mean, even if Brown doesn't play that ball, the ball goes out five metres from the goal line. I mean, it was a real signal early on that we were settling into this game quicker than England was. Um, just quickly, getting back to Brad Barrett. I mean, one of the things with these South African-style centres, and Brad is actually South African, so nice work. Yeah, there, I remember he used to play for the oh. used to play for the Sharks, I think. Mm. Yeah, I mean, one of the things with them is that usually they've got to be defensively sound and they can run straight and hard. And Brad can only do one of those things. He made six meters with the oh, ball in geez. hand on on Saturday. Six meters for your your primary run straight get over the gain line centre. I mean. It's just not good enough. I mean, I I just don't think he would have gotten anywhere in Australian rugby. You know how, do you, you, know guys how in, you know how in volleyball, um, in in like indoor volleyball, there's that guy that wears the different color shirt, and he can only yeah. hit it backwards. You know, he's the defense only <laughs> player. I mean, that's Brad Barrett. He should have been wearing a purple shirt or something. You know, only <laughs> no, basically, don't pass the ball to me. I'm here for defense only, because <laughs> that's all he's there for. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's pretty shocking when um, that's what they've done. But look, let's um, now kind of focus in on some of the key players that we thought, um, you know, uh, had 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 pearlers. Um, Reg, I'm, I'm going to throw to you. I think everyone's <laughs> sat here hoping you get you get first you get first shot. So. Oh, look! Uh, can we can we can we call this the the, the Bernard Foley Memorial one. list? And can we all just talk about Bernard for a second? And because I've got someone else I'd like to mention after that. And, and all, I was just blown away by Foley. And I, how I found out the score from this game was, you know, I was camping with no access to anything, and and uh, you know, I was tossing up whether I try and stay clear of the. Of the score until I got home and watched the replay, uh, but I'm glad I didn't. Once I, my phone got into range, all of a sudden I had 150 messages on my phone, so that was not very likely. But I, we listened to, we got ABC Radio News and the update. It just raved about Foley, so I couldn't wait to see it. But I think, and, and I think our ratings gave him a 10 out of 10, which I think is pretty damn accurate. But I think that's the best fly half performance I've seen by a Wallaby. You know, back to Larkham days, and in fact, and I think that was—I think that's probably the best Wallaby performance I've seen at a World Cup in the preliminary stages in the pool games since the start of the World Cup. And and, and you know, it was definitively, definitively a team performance. Uh, but that's when you want that fly half to shine, and that's exactly what we got from Foley. I just thought, and Jamie talked about his kicking game and that that first kick—it was just on point. 
and and um, every aspect of his game was just unbelievable. So, mm. um, look, what a you know, let's Lord Volley for a little, little bit before I come back with my <laughs> my other one. I uh, I got to listen to the English commentary over here, um, which obviously added a lot to my enjoyment of the experience. Um, and at one stage, they talked about they'd get to add Foley's performance to the highlight reel, and I thought, no, no, it's it's a highlight reel in and of itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you watch on the replay, everything he does, save for that one knock-on in contact deep in the second half. I mean, he just doesn't make an incorrect decision all day. And then when he makes the right decision, he's got the skill and the confidence to make it work. Uh, I totally agree with that 10 out of 10 rating. He was he was superhuman. He really was. Um, just superb performance. My, yeah. my, my quick, quickly, before you get your player in, Reg, my Bernard Foley moment is I think... It's probably, uh, I can't remember the exact moment, but it's probably that about um, 15 minutes ago when the Poms, sort of they had that good 10-minute stretch, good 15-minute stretch and, and pegged us back to, to 13, sort of 20. And this was the real sort of moment where I'm sitting there going, well, we, we've bottled this, we're going to lose this game. Um, and he, he, he just took, he just came back into the game at that point. He, you could see he visibly took charge. And I think we had the ball for you know, a period of 10 phases or so. And he, he noticeably injected himself into the back line more. He flattened us up, and he got us going forward again. And I think that was the real key moment for me. That was when, you know, previ- previously he might have disappeared. Or, and, and he probably did for the 10 minutes before when England had their moment. But uh, he really stepped back into the game and, and really got our attack straighter. He got it, you know, for, before that we, had, we, we were operating with these deep forward runners that were getting trapped behind the game line and turning possession over. Once Foley got back into it, he got back in the driver's chair and he sort of really, really uh, took us more directly to, uh, to England. And I think it probably turned the game around in the end. Yeah. You know, do you know what I think had a lot to do with that, actually? was and I, He's copped a bit of a bashing, actually, because he threw two, well, at least one shocker, um, but was um, Phipps. Um, I think, actually, he really sped things up and, and flattened up that attack a lot, which Foley knows how to play off. Um, so when you're looking at your sixth replay... Um, <laughs> chat- <laughs> You know, uh, to, to everybody out there, challenge yourself. Just have a look how the pace of the game changes. And I know it's hard to get past those one or two heart-stopping moments when those passes went astray. Um, but actually, I think he really sped things up. For me, Foley, I, I, um, I, I agree also. Everything was fantastic. The running game. But I think we'd seen a lot of that. Um, you'd see, we'd seen a lot of the Tars, especially in 2014. We hadn't seen it, uh, you know, to come through in such in such spades or all together like it did in this game. But the one we hadn't seen before was that kicking game. Mm. Um, and also the, the length on his place kicks as well. And actually, I was talking to um, uh, Cyclo about this over a beer last night. And, and, and Cyclo's opinion, which I think is a good one, is that he's, he's really slowed down his kicking action. And he's, he's actually just timing the ball a lot better. And then suddenly these kind of it's these pop gun kicks are actually getting towards the end of the field. Um, so anyway, that, that was the part of his game, which I thought because, you know, suddenly we were playing territory. Um, which was amazing. I mean, the Poms ran many more metres than we did um, in that game, um, mm. and we played a much smarter game. So, anyway, so there we go. There's, yeah. there's the Bernie Foley Appreciation <laughs> Society. Um, uh, just closed probably for about five minutes. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Reg, who, who are you going to throw up? Yeah, and I... I Bernard Foley. <laughs> Look, and I reserve the right to come back and name a whole gamut of players after if, if no one else mentions them. But uh, as Steve Moore's the one I want to talk about, I, I thought, um, you know, I think Matt, you and I agreed that his form was down, was disappointing 
uh, in the opening game and, and has been for a little while this season. And I thought he really stepped up this game. I thought he was uh, a lot more effective uh, around the field, uh, higher work rate, and uh, like we said, a lot more effective was was making um, some solid hits, some really important solid hits, uh, very busy around the ball. So I was uh, I was thrilled to see Steve um, back uh, back towards his better game. Still a bit to go, but I thought that was a great step back, and uh, I even liked his um, his post game speech. You know, as you'd expect for Steve, he's pretty no nonsense. He he uh, recognised the fans, which I think is particularly relevant. All the ones that have travelled and that were over there, because I thought they were pretty damn noisy. There's plenty of swing low, but the Wallaby fans were pretty loud. But uh, it was, you know, we're happy, but we're ready to move on, sort of thing. So that was uh, that was a great uh, a leadership performance by Steve. It was good to see him back in form. Yeah, it was a cracker, wasn't it? Um, Jamie, mate, who stood out to you? Ah. Uh. Uh, well, when I was watching the replay yesterday, there was one guy in particular who really jumps off the screen time and time again, and no one else is going to mention him, so I'm really happy about this. Um, Kane Douglas. Mm. Uh, Kane Douglas has an absolutely massive game, just getting through a huge amount of work, and he played the full 80. He wasn't the lock that was subbed, and everything he did just shifted a lot of bodies, made a lot of tackles. I think he was... a uh, second top tackler with nine uh, after Michael Hooper, which is pretty impressive. Mm. Um, and he just generally, when you watch the tape, just follow him for like five or six minutes. He's just doing everything, I mean, that, that we needed him to do. I mean, we talked a lot last week about trying not to let England in the game, and that meant scrumming well, that meant not giving away kickable penalties. But it also meant ruck accuracy, um, because we know the English love a counter-ruck, and in the end, it was one counter-ruck to each team. And a lot of that had to do with the ruck accuracy, getting to the contact point, getting low, shifting over, and making it difficult for England to get that counter-ruck going. And I think Kane's performance really epitomised everything we were trying to do in that facet. And that actually laid the solid platform, you know, the unflashy work that has to be done so that everybody else can build upon it. And um, for guys you know, often much maligned, uh, with probably a bit of a lucky selection in the squad, uh, Kane really showed why he's so valuable in this group. So well done to him, actually. Okay, good one. Hugh, what about you, mate? Yeah, I agree. I was going to say Kane Douglas. Um, I, I'll, say, oh, um, Matt, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll say Matt Giddo. Um, mm-hmm. it, you look at him, if you isolate his plays, I don't know if he has you know, a barnstormer, really. I mean, if you, if you just did it back-to-back. I mean, he's not a dominant ball runner. He's not, you know, putting people into holes, really. He's not making massive hits. You know, if, if, you, if you sort of boil the game down into a collection of plays, I'm not sure he's, you know, he's really coming away with it with an 8 out of 10 game. But I think if you collate it all and you just, just um, you know, what he brings to that back line in terms of this sort of, calm head, just experience the kicking game, you know. A couple of times he just stepped up to the plate uh, with clearances, you know, deep in our own half. And also, I think one when the play broken down and on about halfway and he just bopped it into the corner. Um, he, you know, and then that, that defence, those grass-cutter tackles he does in cover. Um, and then, you know, cap it all off with a try at the end. I mean, I think he's... Matt Tamur is an outstanding 12 and, and was great uh, at the back end of last season. But I think Matt Giddo is a really important in, uh, ingredient in our back line at the moment. Yeah. Um, just really, just just sort of solidifies it and acts as a 
as a sort of linchpin between the stuff that Foley does and the stuff that Israel Folau is doing and Beal last night and Kurandrani. Um, yeah, look, I, I think um, he's, he's, he's absolutely been um, uh, exactly what we hoped he'd be, I think, coming back from Toulon. So um, he's the one I'll give the shout-out to. Yeah, he does. I think he does all those things you talk about. And I think the reason he can do that is just he's, he's reading of the game is so good. You know, he just he just knows where to be to make that, you know, grass cutter tackle or um or just to pick up a, that loose pass and just put each he, the number of times you just see him put his head down and go, right, there's the best thing to do here is just to take it to ground. Um and he and he and he, and he does it really well. No, I, I agree with you on that one. Um if I was gonna throw one in, um you know, pretty obvious one I guess, but geez he had a great game. David um David Pocock. Yeah. I mean the guy is just—he's a freak over the ball. He's—he's he's cemented himself as there is no one who's competing with him at the moment for Fetcher um, in, in world rugby. You'd have to say, and it's his strength. Like he seems to be able to pilfer a ball with three fingers. That with that, mm. that two guys who are trying to shift him, you know, can't stop him doing. Um, he just from unbelievable angles, uh, just crazy. And then, you know, there was at least two, maybe three times where he pilfered those balls. Uh, one which we didn't get because Poit somehow ruled that the, the Poms were going forward and gave him a scrum early on. But, um, you know, and they were at vital times when we were, you know, deep in defence in our own 22. Um, fantastic um, sort of turnovers. Uh, yeah, he had just a fantastic game. Um Alrighty, so look, and, and just just to quickly jump in, I mean, I think one of the things that does is it's really going to affect the way other teams um, strategize to play us. Uh, you know, coming up to the Wales game on Saturday, I'd be very very surprised if they don't play Warburton and Tipperich, and so go away from their own balanced back row in order to combat just the threat of David Pocock, and that's what you want. You want to take the opposition out of their comfort zone, as you were saying earlier. Mm. Well, look, and one thing I've got to say, so talking about the opposition there for a second, was this us being really good or was this England being really bad, Hugh? What do you, what do you, what do you think? Um, oh, it's us being really good. I mean, England, were, England had their chances mm. and, and, and they just couldn't execute them. And we had probably botching that try in the yeah, third minute there. You know, that should have been Rob Horn trying the corner 10 times out of 10. Um, and then, you know, Hooper giving away that, that penalty, you know, at, at a crucial time term. I mean, we, we had, you know, the, the bulk of possession. Um, look, <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think you can deny we, we play um, you know, whether, whether we can replicate this for four weeks in a row, you know, five weeks in a row. Is, is, is the bigger question, you know, is that we've proven in the past that we're capable of doing this, but um, we haven't proven that we're capable of doing it multiple times. So, I mean, we've got a bit of a luxury in that Wales, you know, mm. we, can aff- we can't afford to lose the game, but we can afford to lose it in another sense. But um, but uh, we've really got no weeks off from from here on in, so um, pressure's going to be on. Okay. Um so, look, just talking about England a little bit more there, I mean, there's some interesting things that's come out of that. It, it looks like um, Lancaster is under a hell of a lot of pressure. Um, he, he's being kind of got at from from all sides. I must admit it was bloody funny. Um, where I was watching the game at uh, my mate Ben's place, uh, he had a bunch of mates around. And at the end there, and you saw Lancaster having to give the speech, and I said, look, you know, I do feel sorry for Lancaster. He's a nice guy. And it was classic. It was, it was so Aussie. Someone directly behind me said, yeah, losers always are. 
<laughs> and the, uh, so that did make me laugh but um yeah he's 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 under big big pressure um some interesting things that came out that apparently the england coaches um are in trouble for approaching officials at half time um if you remember checker gotten a little bit of strife for this from sansa at a super rugby game this season well apparently it wasn't lancaster it was other coaches i'm guessing i'm guessing probably roundtree mm. um went up to have a chat with Poit in the um the the uh, ref the, the uh, assistant referees um, and then and then we also know that after the match uh, they're also in trouble because you're supposed to have at least ten players in the mix zone so that the uh, journos can go and talk to people uh, and and interview people and apparently only two of them um, sort of fronted up uh, so yeah so the you know Eng- England squad in in a, in a bit of trouble there um, Reg have you got any sympathy? No, not at all, mate. I, I, look, I, England weren't impressive by any means, but, um, you know, tough, you know. Uh, I, part of me hopes the English fans who have been great and out there supporting the World Cup still keep going along. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's not 100% English. It's definitely not. But I hope they, you know, jump on the Welsh bag wagon or the Irish or something like that and, and keep coming along in droves because um, they've been fantastic so far, the team less so. Yeah, I mean, Jamie, yeah. you've got a good insight into the English psyche. What do you think happens next for them? Uh, I think they go into a long period of, you know, uh, introspection and recriminations and probably come out the other side with no clear plan about how to go forward. Um, I mean, it's also been coming out the last couple of days that there was a big fracture in the squad over Sam Burgess's selection. Um, apparently... Originally, Lancaster didn't want to take him, wanted to take Luther Burrell, and Andy Farrell apparently really weighed in very heavily in favour of a more direct approach, which uh, included Burgess and also, funnily enough, included Owen Farrell at 10, um, which is what happened before the Wales game. And uh, Billy Vunapola made a few comments that he's now scrambling to really disavow um, a couple of days ago about this. But I think that really represents it really epitomizes what happened with England throughout this World Cup throughout the last couple of years is that they tried to go for a balanced approach by picking some people who could attack and play an expansive game and other people who represented their traditional solidity Um, but unfortunately it didn't create a balanced machine or moving in one direction it just created an operation that was moving in two opposite directions simultaneously I mean Mm. even if England had played wide on the weekend. They had been able to get the ball into Joseph's hands. They had been able to get Brown running in the wide channels. Just exactly which of their super mobile forward pack was going to win that ruck ball. Um, yeah. I mean, it just there needs to be... If you're going to switch mentality, it's got to be top to bottom and you've got to have the players coming through who can play that style. And they just don't have that. Their, their front rowers can't pass the ball. They've got very limited mobility up front and... I think they're going to have to look into themselves for a, a whole new identity, a whole new way how we play the game. And it'll be interesting to see what the outcome of that process is. But I certainly think Lancaster is going to get the chop probably sooner rather than later. Mm. I mean, they got talent to burn, though. They've won, I think they've won the last two under-20 World Cups. Um, yeah, they've got th- those guys like Watson and Jamie Joseph. And, I mean, this gets a really... I mean, they've got electric backs, which is not something you'd normally say about England. Um, they just John, lack a couple like, of key pieces. And, and, you know, you think, like, they're they're not so far away. 
Yeah. I mean, they've also got money dropping out of their ass. I mean, you mm. know, it's like that thing is a gold mine over there. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, you know, the fact that they still can't get it together is, 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 is pretty mind blowing, but, um, also uh, pretty heartening at the same time. Um, so, I mean, that, that's England. So just talking about, you know, so wrapping up some loose, the loose ends out of the match. Uh, we've just seen that, uh, Michael Hooper has been cited for his no arm clearance on, uh, Mike Brown. Um, I don't think that's prop. That's I mean, it's not that much of a surprise, is it? Um, it was dumb. Mm. It, it was it was a really dumb play. He could have tackled him. There was no there was no need for a shoulder in that instance. He could have flown in and actually put a put a proper hit on him, and yeah. it would have been legal and it would have been just as effective. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's a complete waste, really. And I think he'll probably cop a week for it. You don't really take you know get off at these things these days. So you know the the question I think now is do you, do you play Sean McMahon or do you play Ben McCalman? Mm. No. You got to play McMahon. I really do. Yeah, yeah you have the, to keep it going. Yeah, I, I think he showed himself to be such a like for like replacement for Hooper. You know, uh, you could just come in and you don't have to change anything. You know, he just plays the exact same role. Um, and yeah, I also think he'll get a week for that. Unfortunately. Mm. And then um, has anyone heard anything about the other injuries? So. That whatever Rob Horn had with his elbow or shoulder um, looked pretty terminal um, on the day. Um, <laughs> well, I, mean, I think they could be okay. But, yeah. <laughs> he died from a shoulder injury. No, um, so for his participation, I should say, uh, in the in the World Cup, um, I think uh, Izzy had rolled an ankle, and we we're hoping that that looked okay. Um, has anyone heard anything? Hugh, I think you were across some of these. I think Horn is still waiting on scans. Okay. Um, and um, Kito, I think, has got a sternum complaint, so I'm not sure how, you know, how that how that'll pull up. But um, oh, you, you you'd back him to be okay. By the way, he finished off the game. Mm. Uh, if 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 my memory's right, I think he might have broken it a few years back. Um, I think he might have even had a problem with it this year as right. a, the reason why he was kept out of some games. But okay. um, all right, well, hopefully, hopefully that's okay. Um, can't be too bad for that swan dive at the end. I mean, he put the oh, maximum gotcha, out yeah. of but he could have. <laughs> yeah, no, it was huge. I think, uh, did you see his quotes at the end where I think he said, you know, they asked him about his try, and I think he said he was just surprised that Adam Ashley Cooper passed him the ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, he's... AAC's doubled his passing rate over the year with that one. Um, okay, so look, fantastic win. Um, I think we need to kind of wrap that one up. We'll talk about, uh, we'll look more to the Welsh game probably later on in the week. Um, other bits of pieces of news, uh, the Japanese Super 16th, is it, or 17 team now? Um, 18. 18. Um, has been, is announced as being the Sunwolves. Um, they're going to be playing three games in um, Singapore as well. I noted. Um, so and they're part because they're part of a conference with um, a bunch of SAFA teams. Um, so that's what they're going to be called. NRC uh, is getting down the very. It's getting down the pointy end. Reg, what's what's the yeah, like, mate, what are the headlines? Quick, quick wrap out in the weekend. Uh, Rams uh, beat the Rays in a dour affair. Brisbane City uh, smashed Sydney Stars. Uh, Canberra Vikings smashed the Melbourne Rising and New South Wales Country got up over Perth Spirit in a good game but it basically sets up a fantastic game down at Viking Park on Saturday afternoon between the undefeated Vikings and Brisbane City which should be sensational and if you can catch a, a clip of the uh, Aiden Tower try from the Vikings game uh, it is a sensational watch so uh, another good weekend NRC. Yeah and I think that clip got um, 
put on the uh, the review of the, the review yeah, on, yeah. on the site, so you can pick it up there. Um, all right, boys. Look, I'll, I'll wrap this one up. But um, thanks everybody for listening or downloading or whatever you've done. Thanks guys for coming on. Um, wow, uh, what a, what a fantastic match. Let's hope it continues on and talk to you all later in the week. See you guys. Good stuff, mate. Seven Yeah.